to maximize your influence. Your resource for the top persuasion, influence, and negotiation techniques that will help you maximize your success in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, Kurt Mortensen and Steve Olson. Welcome to episode 151 of Maximize Your Influence. I'm Steve Olson, and I have Kurt Mortensen here with me. Rumor has it he is fired up and charged up for today. How you doing, Kurt? Fired up and charged up. I will take it. It's a great day. Feeling good. And uh, loving the world of persuasion and influence. Loving to see all those political blunders that are happening out there. There's just too many to count. If you could be neutral and look at politics, man, you're laughing all day long. <laughs> those conventions, the Republican and the Democratic <laughs> convention, it's like watching The Tonight Show for me. It's pretty funny. It was so blatant, so bad. Both sides made so many errors. It was just interesting to watch. But when people are so engaged and emotionally involved, they don't see the blunders. But it's definitely entertaining. And they do it because they get away with it, because the electorate apparently doesn't hold them accountable for this <laughs> yeah. kind of behavior. If they like you, here's a lesson. If they like you, they don't hold you accountable. They don't care what you say or if you lie. <laughs> and if they don't like you, oh, man. <laughs> then they care about everything you say, they make up things, and then it just goes downhill from there. I have friends on both sides of the aisle, and most of them actually don't like either one of these. In fact, our marketing director, they released a kind of a digital billboard, and it had pictures of Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, and it said, moving to Canada? We can help you sell your home. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of disdain and discomfort this time. We're like, what? Yep. Who are we voting for? What's going on? But yeah. Yeah, a lot of fun for those that are listening around the world in politics. I'm sure you have your own version because it gets getting strange out there in the world of politics. Yep, yep. On Facebook, your Republican friends, your Democratic friends will post articles and, and they'll take the absolutely most absurd picture of Hillary Clinton that they can find and they'll put a meme over the top of it, same with Donald Trump, and just make them look like a complete, uh, pardon the French, but just a complete jackass. And uh, that's, <laughs> that's, that's the game. Well, that's what amazed me about those posts. I'm like, that's supposed to persuade me? <laughs> <laughs> Might make you feel good, but that was not persuasive. It'll show some picture, some majestic picture of Abraham Lincoln, free the slaves, <laughs> and then it'll show Hillary Clinton make some kind of pig face, yeah. killed soldiers in Benghazi. You know, it's, you know whether, whether that's true or not, it's just the, uh, the blatant bias really turns a lot of people off. So, <laughs> so yeah, well... Now that we've gone overboard, why don't we introduce, guess what, we've got a guest, Kurt. We do. What's her name? Her name's Deborah Fine, and I should know this because I played hooky for the interview. You had to do it yourself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this one is Deborah Fine. She's a great speaker. We're talking about rapport, interaction, that small talk is her specialty, and she is a world-renowned expert on it, and so let's hear the interview. Okay, here we go with our interview with Deborah Fine. Hello, everyone. This is Kurt Mortensen. Welcome back to Maximize Your Influence. We've got a special guest today. Her name is Deborah Fine. She's a keynote speaker, corporate trainer, best-selling author. She presents to hundreds of audiences around the world that include Delta, Airlines, Google, General Electric. 
Her best-selling first book was The Fine Art of Small Talk, and that was joined by The Fine Art of Big Talk, How to Win Clients, Deliver Great Presentations, and Solve Conflicts at Work. Her third book's out, Beyond Texting, The Fine Art of Face-to-Face Communications for Teenagers. Got to get our millennials to read that one. And Deborah's been on the Today Show, Fox Business News, and CNN. So welcome, Deborah. Thanks for being here. How are you doing today? Kurt, it's my pleasure. You are an expert in this field as well. So it was good to have some great experts and to kind of bounce ideas off of each other. Our listeners range from salespeople to entrepreneurs and people that realize that we all persuade and influence for a living. And so we want to take a dive and, and help our listeners be more influential. We always say everything you want in life's on the other side of persuasion and influence. And of course, it's a skill we should have learned a long time ago. But let's put you on the spot here. We asked a lot of our guests this. What is the world's worst vegetable? If you could eliminate one vegetable in the world, what would it be? I'm a vegetable fan, Kurt. However, oh, okay, put, there's got to be one. If you put a green pepper in anything, your spaghetti sauce in a salad, uh-huh. I can smell it a mile away at the aroma, and I just hate it. So, um, but oh. you know, one less thing for me to eat is not a bad thing. How about you, by the way? What's your what's your worst vegetable? Uh, well, I have to go with Brussels sprouts. Really. <laughs> Yeah, just the texture and the flavor. But I think it always goes back to our childhood when we were forced to eat something we didn't want to. So I'm either saying beets or Brussels sprouts, something like that. But uh, <laughs> we'll take green peppers. It's funny because you know how trendy Brussels sprouts are now. You go into any restaurant and, I mean, lucky right. for me, I like them. But they're like starters now. They're part of a, you know, they're all crispy. And so so too bad you're not as trendy as me. Yeah, I guess I have to get with that social validation and get in and try them again because it's probably been who knows how long since I've tried them and yeah, give them another let's, shot. Let's give it another try. <laughs> well, one thing, too, we always ask is we, we do a blunder. We play a little Homer Simpson. Don't, don't, don't. And this helps people learn because we all do blunders. So what is the worst influence blunder that maybe you've committed or that you see other people commit that we can learn from? Well, I've committed so many, but... You know, I hark back to when I first started my business. So I was really out there trying to sell myself, sell my programs, et cetera. And I was invited by the the city of Lakewood, which is a very large city here in Colorado, by their police force to come talk to them and visit them for them to consider small talk programming for their police force. And this is a police force that's been written about all over the country because their educational requirements are that you must at least have a, a bachelor's degree and um, there's some famous people that come out of the force, et cetera. So there I am, and the captain's touring me around, and we get to his desk. I mean, this is so simple, and it's not the worst thing somebody can do. But I looked at this picture, and I said, and he was in it with this little girl. And I said, oh, is, is that your granddaughter? And he said, no, that's my daughter. So, I mean, that's an example of me letting my mouth open when it shouldn't. But lesson learned, right? When you oh, see yeah. a picture, everyone listening, <laughs> this is what you say. Tell me about that picture or who is that with you in the picture and make no assumptions about anything. And needless to say, I got really lucky, Kurt, and the city of Lakewood has used me extensively, but I was <laughs> forgiven. There are many worse faux pas, I think. Yeah, I think we've all done that when you should say, is that your sister? Yeah, right? <laughs> right. Or I think all guys have learned that you never ask a lady if they're pregnant. Don't, because no, and us women shouldn't be asking other women that either. It's just as defensive as yeah, a woman. Right. Trust me, it has happened to me. Not recently, I'll tell you that. Thank goodness. But it did happen many times long ago. So be careful. <laughs> think before you speak. That's our message here. Think before you speak because a lot of times strange things can happen. So that's a great blunder. Thanks for sharing that. And your specialty, of course, is 
that small talk, getting that quick rapport. We've talked a lot about in the show, and my research shows that the majority of influence involves the subconscious trigger, you know, a feeling. I like them. I don't like them. I trust them. I don't trust them. And as you know, rapport is critical to that. If people don't like you and you don't have rapport, it's very difficult to work with them or even influence them. So tell us your secrets on how do you quickly establish rapport? My number one key to success with establishing rapport is assume the burden of other people's comfort. So anybody that's listening right now who's shy and or introverted to any degree will identify with what I'm about to say. So Kurt, you're out of the loop on this one. We can all tell you're an extrovert. So us introverts and or shy people, we are the nicest people on the planet. However, the only person's comfort we're concerned with during these kinds of face-to-face or on-phone or online interactions is our own, which is why I would allow you, Kurt, in my past to walk down a hall with me. Let's say I'm in sales and I'm visiting your company to make a presentation and we'd walk down this very long hall together and it got awkward because there was nothing to talk about. And I just assumed that uh, you should make me feel comfortable, I guess, when we were walking down this hall. I have to make you feel comfortable when we're walking down the hall by coming up with things to talk about that make you feel comfortable or giving you things to talk about with me, whatever it may be. The same goes I sit on a board with you and I meet monthly and we sit down next to each other. We don't know each other very well. And you say to me, Deborah, how have you been? If I say fine and that's all I say, I'm not making you feel comfortable. I'm instead making you come up with more things to talk about if you want to connect with me. Another great example of assuming the burden is I run into you at a function. It's clear that I have forgotten your name. And in the past, Kurt, this is how I would respond. I would just let the conversation continue three, four minutes. I would be hoping for some religious event to occur where your name just came to me. And then we'd part. And of course, we both knew we didn't know each other's names because I was too uncomfortable or embarrassed to say, you know, I I know we just met or I know I had to ask you five different times to remind me of your name, but I forgot it. But that was too embarrassing for me to ask or I felt too stressed out to ask. So I just allowed that discomfort to continue with you. Instead, my rule of thumb is I have to make you feel comfortable, Kurt, when you're with me. So even if it is embarrassing, even if it makes me want to throw up, I just go, I know we were just introduced two moments ago and I already forgot your name. Could you please remind me? So that is assuming the burden of other people's comfort. You make people feel comfortable when they're with you, they'll feel great about you. And that is the key to success, right, Kurt, to building for No, I agree with that. That's important because the, the awkwardness is there. So if you could take the burden of not remembering the name or not understanding something and not even bruising someone's self-esteem, if they ask you a question that maybe you've already answered, they say, oh, it's my fault. I should explain it better. But I like the burden part to where, I mean, the feeling's there. So you gotta, can't just let it grow and let it be. But uh, actually addressing it and taking it, well, my name's this, I forgot your name, please help me out. That's a great start for establishing rapport. What else could you tell us about rapport? Well, that's in the same vein. It's the intention of assuming the burden. For instance, I would go to uh, an industry conference, sit at a table of eight for lunch and hope that Kurt Mortensen's of the world was at the same table because you'll come up with something to talk about, won't you, Kurt? You seem very outgoing. You're very friendly. You're warm. It's up to me to assume the burden of the table of eight of coming up with things to talk about. So I don't walk into events or occasions without at least two to three things to talk about because the worst time to come up with something to talk about is when there's nothing to talk about. So that's another example of assuming the burden. I walk into a room where I'm going to run into people either I know or I don't know who are going to ask me, how's the conference going, or 
how's your day or how's your year? Or just like what you asked me today, how's, how's your day been so far? Um, I'm always prepared to give a real answer in a sentence just in case you really meant it. I, of course, half the time, nobody means it. You know, my husband says to me, you know, how was your day? Trust me. I mean, he loves me. We have a great marriage. But when he says, how was your day? If there's a game on TV, he didn't really mean how was your day? He meant hello. In case he feels like chatting, I'll give him a real answer in a sentence, not a narrative that he has to listen to for five minutes, but that's assuming the burden of trying to connect with people. No, I like that. Having a few things prepared about the conference or about what's happening in the world, right. about where they're from can always be helpful right. to, to get things going because they want to talk and they'd be feeling awkward too and you can just exactly. get things going. Do you ever ask people, I have to ask you, Kurt, do you ask people what their worst vegetable is in real life? Quite a few times I'll do it in seminars to to illustrate how you would influence a child to eat Brussels sprouts or something like that, that <laughs> our goal is to get more persuasion tools. So every once in a while I'll do that just to break the ice, more in a larger setting, probably not so much one-on-one. -on -one. Right. But I mean, simple things like where you're from and knowing about the area. I've traveled quite a bit, so if someone's from St. Louis or New York, I, I know enough about those places to ask them certain things and get the conversation right. going. But that's great help to establish a rapport. So. As we establish rapport and we're making those first impressions, what are some of the things we should or maybe even should not do that could help or harm that first impression? Because we know we've got well, seconds before people judge us about who we are. How do we manage that first impression? Well, first impression is obviously how you open the conversation. I'll get to that in a second. But before that, it's your body language. It's your smile. It's the confidence you exude. And most people, I, I don't know if you'd agree, Kurt, aren't aware of their body language. The reason I can confirm this is that when you look around a room, let's say a coffee break or a, a hospitality suite or, or after church or synagogue, just look around and you'll see people fidgeting or looking down or looking awkward or ill at ease. Uh, that's just one example of somebody who I really, I don't know them, but I'm pretty certain that they are not aware of their body language. I cannot imagine someone would exhibit body language that appeared nervous or ill at ease on purpose. The same goes for that CFO that I, I enter his or her office. I work for them. I've been working on the budget line items now for three nights in a row, really sacked in some 14-hour days. And she or he is sitting back, relaxed at their desk in their executive chair with their hands folded behind their head. They don't look like they care or are listening or are into the fact that I put in these 14-hour days because they look so relaxed and bivalent. They're so comfortable at their own desk and in their own chair that they're not aware of their body language. So please, most people are not aware of their body language. I cross my arms across my chest all the time because it's comfortable for me. And I'm aware that that's a barrier. So I am very focused on putting my hands in my pockets, keeping my hands to my sides, whatever it may be, rather than finding my comfort zone. So be aware of that. Be aware of eye contact, et cetera, et cetera. And then, though, be aware of another thing that so many people are so afraid of rejection. And, and I get that. I'm there. I, it's a risk to walk up to somebody new or somebody you met three years ago, but you don't really know them. It's a business contact. And most of us, Kurt, we're looking for the perfect line, right, to open up that conversation. That Deborah Fine could give me that perfect line. That's all I need. I, I don't even need any more from this podcast. I, I'm looking for the perfect line. There is no perfect line, Kurt, because here's the deal. Let's say you approach me and I see on your name tag that you're a speaker and author, a best-selling author, and a, a keynote speaker in the areas of influence and charisma. And I'm at this conference to meet decision makers who might hire me, like people with Cisco Systems or General Electric or law firms that hire me. 
and I see your name tag, Kurt, and you are friendly and you are warm and you know, your appearance seems just fine and dandy to me. And as you're approaching me, I'm checking out that name tag. And no matter how you choose to open this conversation, Kurt, guess what? I am going to reject you. I'll do it civilly. I'll do it politely. I'm going to give you one word answers. And then I'm going to not help you along in the conversation. And I'm going to exit you because I'm one of those people, Kurt, that work rooms. And I'm making this up, of course, because I don't work rooms, actually, because I find it offensive. But Pretend I work rooms and I've decided you can't help me. You're not my target audience. I went through the roster to determine who would be here this evening. And you certainly, sir, were not on my target list. You are a competitor of mine. So I'm only going to give you one word answers. There is no perfect line, Kurt, because there is no way I'm going to allow you to engage me. Everyone who's looking for the perfect line, there is no perfect line. The best line is, number one, to be the first to say hello. And number two is to try I think that one of the best opening lines is based on the free information we have about the occasion or location. If I meet you at a charity event, I'll ask you how you got involved with that charity. If we're at a chamber meeting, I'll ask you if you're a member or a guest of the chamber. If you're a guest, what brought you here tonight? If you're a member, what's the number one value you get out of it? If I'm at an industry conference, what other industry conferences do you attend? The free information I have about the occasion or location is the way to really launch a conversation. And, and I believe how you question what you're asking is what not to do. Hey, don't ask people, are you married, Kurt? What kind of question is that? What if he's not, folks? Where am I headed in this conversation? Or do you have any kids, Kurt? I mean, come on, folks. Let's use some personal boundaries here. I don't think that's a good question to ask. I've been at tables of eight where the extrovert goes, hey, so do you have any kids? I happen to have them, but I've seen people say no. And then it's like the biggest pregnant pause, awkward moment. I hate that. Don't ask those questions. Well, that was a great point. And it's important for our listeners to understand when you're having these conversations, developing poor, think about it ahead of time. What can you say? What is the situation? Why are they there? Like you said, is a convention, is a church? What are they doing there? And I agree with you 100% that most people have no idea about their body language and, and what they're exuding to people. Even one of the things I do is I teach people how to do persuasive presentations. And when they see that actual recording of what they're doing, it shocks them. Right. <laughs> and if people saw an actual recording of them at a convention trying to approach people, it would shock them too. So being more aware of just your body language, thinking through what you could ask that won't come across. Because if you wait till the last second, you are going to ask something stupid about the weather or are you married or (laughs) things that just don't go anywhere. And like you mentioned, some people at this party might not be interested, right? You can't influence 100 people 100% of the time. You just got to read that and move on. And those are great, great points. So thanks for sharing those. Now, one thing, just do a little research about what you focus on is gaining referrals. And everybody always wants more referrals because it's so much easier to influence somebody via referral. So what are your tips on people getting more referrals? And hopefully most of your business is based on referrals for those that are out there running their businesses. What are your tips on referrals? I say the number one way, and I'm not in sales. I, you know, I used to be an engineer, Kurt. I don't know if you know that. And that's where my programs come from. It comes from a place of just because you're not born with a gift of gab, like Kurt here, you can learn these skills in order to influence others, whether they be the CFO, whether they be bringing in clients and referrals, customers, and those kinds of interactions. I always say issue the invitation. So what I mean by issuing the invitation is, let's say I do want to get to know you better or potentially tell you more about me and my business. I don't get your card and then start emailing you, when can we meet? I issue the invitation during our face-to-face interaction. And what I would say to you is, 
either one of these two diverging conversations. I would either say, who do you know, Kurt, that might be able to help me? I'm looking to make my software available to legal teams around the country. So that's one way to get referrals. Who do you know? The other obvious one is you're standing right there and I want your business. I want to do business with you. Okay. So I would say to you, you know, I'm very interested in getting to know you better and for you to learn more about me. Would it be okay with you if I emailed you this week or phoned you this week, whatever is your preference, to set up a time that we can get together? So here's my point. There's nothing I hate more than meeting you and you not mentioning that you want to further our conversation. And then you start selling to me via the internet or calling me with your proposals. Let me know when we're face to face that you're interested in pursuing that, that get my permission. Yeah, you know, next week's a good time. Or no, you know what? I feel very comfortable with the insurance programs we are working with now. If I am ever interested, I'll let you know. And that lets you know, don't leave me alone. Don't call me. Don't email me. And that's why I issue an invitation before I leave you in case you don't want to hear from me. The key, of course, in referrals is asking for them. I, my audiences typically aren't salespeople. They are people like CPAs, architects, lawyers, even healthcare, doctors, specialists. And they think to be a salesperson, for some reason, they thought that they should never wear that hat. So I say, don't look at it as sales. Look at it as an opportunity to connect with people, but you have to ask for their business. You know, I appreciate the opportunity to gain your referrals. What would it take for me to do that? Great points. And I like that. Permission to sell, permission to influence. Right. You haven't created a need or a want and they haven't given you permission or they don't even care about it. Coming back later with a cheesy email or a phone call is it's not going to get you exactly. anywhere. So that's a great point on that connection and getting referrals. So that's great information. So what are we missing? What haven't I asked you that you think is really important for our listeners to take away as far as either building rapport or creating that small talk or even a first impression? First of all, just don't be afraid to start with anything. You know, a lot of books and experts will tell you to start with an open-ended question. But I say it doesn't matter what you start with. You even referenced it. Ask me where I'm from. And if I'm from where we're standing right now, if we're at a conference in Orlando, are you from Orlando? Either I am or I'm not, right? We're in Wichita. Are you from Wichita? Have you ever thought about living somewhere else? What's your favorite things about Wichita? I mean, you referenced done a lot of travel and you know. So I've done a lot of travel, but I want to know what their experience is like. What, you know, tell me about what kept you in Wichita. What brought you here? It goes to another point is that I am very, before I walk into a room, I'm very current on the sports in that area, by the way. Uh, I know about college if it's a town like Wichita, if I'm in Chicago, I certainly know the pro sports and what's in the news that day. So I walk in very prepared. But the other thing about uh, building rapport with people, besides showing an interest in others, is making sure that you're willing to open up about yourself. And, I, and I'm not talking about, you know, your wonderful, brilliant children and that they're all going to be in the Olympics someday or they take AP classes and they're sure to get into Harvard. I've had it with those conversations. I don't want to hear that speech or that bragging. But I do want to get to know you without feeling like I have to be an FBI agent. So when someone does say to you, how's work or how's the project or how's your summer, could you please give me an answer? I'm going to give you a real answer in a sentence in hopes that I give you enough for you to connect with me. Since I'm not certain you're really interested in me, I'm only going to give you a sentence. So if you ask me, Kurt, Deborah, how's your summer been? Whether I'm a complete stranger or whether I'm someone that we've done business with in the past. When you say, how's your summer? I'll say something along the lines of, well, it's great. I'm really looking forward to the end of my summer because we're taking my dad, who's 90, on a special trip. I didn't describe the trip to you. I didn't bore you ad nauseum. 
You now know I have a 90-year-old father and I'm going on a trip. Two different ways to get into a conversation with me. Or guess what I've done, Kurt? Let's say you're not interested at all in my father or my vacation. You were just asking, how's your summer? Because you're trying to be a friendly guy, but you didn't really mean it. You want to get down to the business at hand. I have given you something about me, whether you continue the conversation up in that area or not. You now know I'm a human being. You see, human beings have fathers and they go on trips. Even if we don't have that in common, Kurt, okay, you now know I'm a human being. I'm not just trying to sell you something. And that is such a big ingredient to building rapport is letting people to get to know you without going on and on and on. If you say, how's your day, Deborah?" I'll say, great. You know, I've been in Phoenix. I got back last night, so I'm glad to get out of the heat. I've given you something about me that I was in Phoenix. You can ask why, or do you travel very much, or how was, what did you do in Phoenix? Or you can say, well, that's nice, Deborah. Now, to get on with this interview, and we're done, but I planted a seed to help develop rapport with you. Great point. Great point. Really appreciate you being here and sharing this information with us. It's very valuable to have that connection, to build rapport, to be able to influence. Tell our listeners where they can find you about your books, where you want them to go to contact you. Thanks, Kurt, for asking that wonderful question. You're making my day. My website is DebraFine.com, D-E-B-R-A-F-I-N-E. Everything's got the word fine in it, the fine art. That was a handy last name when you say so, DebraFine.com. Mm -hmm. Everything about my books and my keynote programs as well as my trainings is there. As you opened up telling people about me, I have written a book most recently, From the Heart, because I raised a few kids, uh, is uh, Beyond Texting, The Fine Art of Face-to-Face -face Communication for Teenagers, because I think... As rough a time as I had as a teenager way back when because I was so shy and dorky, I think it's even tougher now because of the use of devices. And there's so many opportunities to connect with people without face-to-face -face that I wanted to offer them skills as well. So I thank you for allowing me to be on your program. It truly is an honor, especially such an expert in this field, Kurt. Thank you, Deborah. Listeners, that's DebraFine.com. You can find out more about small talk and rapport and, and getting past texting and developing those relationships. Well, Kurt, those were some pretty good points. I think that salespeople make awful, awful small talk. And you know when it's happening. You know what somebody told you to do. They're, they said, hey, go in there, talk about the fish on the wall, as you say many times. And I thought she had a lot of good points for how we can get around that. She did that rapport, the small talk, the importance of the first impression. And I think the big lesson, just thinking about the great things that we learned, is that when you're faking it, people can sense it. That sincere small talk, trying to connect, getting people to like you. As we've talked about many times on the show, when people like you, it makes sales easier. It makes life easier. It makes leadership easier. It makes management easier. Get them to like you. Work on these skills. and make a big difference in your life and your income. Yeah, that sounds great, Kurt. We're glad to have Deborah on the show. Thanks for your comments. And everybody, we will catch you on another episode of Maximize Your Influence next week. Take care. Persuade with power.